Hello, everybody, and Merry Christmas. Welcome back to the BSF Lecture Talks on the Gospel of John. I'm Abraham Lee, the teaching leader for the San Francisco region, and today we're looking at John chapter 9, where we meet another person who Jesus wanted to use to tell his story of God's love and God's grace. Yeah, I hope uh, you've done the questions because this is a really important chapter. I mean, they're all important, but this one um, I've really enjoyed myself. And there's going to be a lot of avenues for taking this discussion in so many different directions. But before we get into the meat of the passage, let me just share a few announcements. Uh, one is that this is the last week of the of the study year. So... Uh, after today, after this week, we are on Christmas break. Um, here it's uh, on the slide. I said one more week. This is from last week. Actually, after lesson 13, which is today, we will be taking a two week break and we'll come back at the beginning of the year on the week of January 9th. That's the second week of 2024. So please be mindful of the calendar. If you show up, there will probably be nobody there <laughs> in your Zoom room or in your uh, facility where you meet. So all groups will return on the second week of January, the week starting January 9, which I believe is the Sunday of the 7th, so the second week. If you're in doubt, please confer with your group leader about this. And also if uh, you wanted to check uh, the calendar that is available on the BSF San Francisco website, which is at www.biblesf.com. You do need to put the three W's there in order to get that website. Uh, so www.biblesf for San Francisco.com. And I'm going to update the resources tab there to include some podcasts and book recommendations you can take advantage of over the holidays if you have some time. And by the way, if you're a San Francisco resident, membership with the library card allows you a free subscription to an audiobook service that has an extensive archive of audiobooks on Hoopla. So I strongly recommend it. I've actually been enjoying that uh, a, a whole lot. I don't have to. I, so when I'm driving, I just put it on and listen to it like I would a podcast. I would strongly encourage you to check that out, especially if you like listening to books on tape while driving. And it's all for free. I think they give you about 25 books to check out per month, which is, I think, more than most of us can handle. All right, and then also, here are some other um, things I wanted to mention before we get into the passage. Some reminders about developing and loving your group and your group leader. Number one, please remember that your group leader and all BSF leaders are volunteers. We are not paid uh, in any way, shape, or form. Uh, all of the things that we do is out of just because we love what we're doing at BSF in making disciples and and seeing people grow in the word and love of God. So group leaders, your group leader, makes a lot of sacrifices in the service of your discipleship. So please remember to show them some love. <laughs> show them some love at the best that you can, because it truly will go a long way to give them some encouragement in a underappreciated ministry. So that's one. The other ones I wanted to share has to do with uh, some etiquette and... Uh, consideration uh, about the dynamics involved. So please practice group care and ownership and ownership of your people, ownership of your group and ownership of the people that are around you, praying for them, remembering them, maybe calling each other up, kind of serendipitously just calling people up and inviting them out for coffee. But remember to give of your life back into the group. 
Now, you really don't get a sense of ownership until you're able to give something of value back. And so if you're not giving back, uh, you're not going to really feel ownership. That, that, that works with any organization or uh, group, maybe even your family. If you don't put something of value into it, you're not going to feel ownership out of it. We often have to serve in order to be fed also. So a follower of Jesus seeks to serve, not to be served all the time. Two, ask others about their week and listen carefully to what they have to share with interest. It's just etiquette to show consideration for our brothers and sisters, whether in our group or at church. That's about community life in Christ. Three, share your life milestones with your group. Celebrate the progress that you make and ask to pray for other people. Uh, That's so important. It's about giving back. Uh, And this is a very easy way to do it is to inquire, to listen, and to pray for others. And then I would suggest, you know, if you have the chance to pray for the person while they're standing right in front of you, not to make promises that, you know, you may not be able to keep because you forget. And so in the busy routines of life, uh, it's probably best to say, hey, what can I pray for you about? And then also, can I pray for you right now? (laughs) I I have not met one person who said, no, (laughs) I don't want to be prayed for. Um, Maybe that will come, (laughs) but I haven't met a person like that yet. So yeah, and also for be inquisitive, Uh, be inquisitive about what you're studying while keeping comments to under a minute max as much as possible, one minute, because I know some brothers who go on for like four or five minutes and they don't, I don't think they recognize that they are talking um, way beyond, (laughs) actually they're giving a lecture. And so please contain and constrain comments to under a minute if possible to give other people a chance to kind of speak up and contribute. Uh, It's just the dynamics of, uh, and the etiquette of a good group conversation. Ask also good follow-up questions and share the epiphanies that you're getting. Epiphanies might be, um, another word is insights, those light bulb moments of illumination that goes up in your thoughts when uh, kind of separate disparate dots are being connected and you see something that you you hadn't seen before. The insights and understanding will be of benefit to others. And then also write things down, whether on your computer or in a notebook, Keep it all in one place and be organized in your learning. I've just noticed, because I work in a university, if we are not organized and properly prepared for our learning, we're not going to be learning much. Our mind is not hardwired to be like a perfect computer, like a computer. Uh, We are not a computer. We have to write things down. And then um, writing things down, research shows has this um, uncanny kind of um, ability to kind of cement things and then bring them into juxtaposition to other ideas so that they start to make connections we hadn't seen uh, or we will not see if we just sit there and listen. So we need to be writing things down and writing other people's uh, good comments and insights down in our workbook. It will strengthen our understanding and then it will lead to branching off of new learning uh, for us. And then lastly, is there something else that we should be getting from a question? You should speak up and ask about that. You know, don't settle for less. Go into these questions asking and digging for more, expecting more, because the Bible, God's word is ready to give it to you if you have that kind of hunger. So please speak up. You are in a safe community to air out any concerns or questions you might have. 
and you only get as much as you put in. So please put in a lot. You'll get a lot in return. All right. So let's review the passage outline. The doctrine that we're looking at today is the doctrine of Jesus being God's son, the son of God. The attribute of God that we look at is graciousness. The God is gracious to us. And the big idea is this spiritual sight, which is far greater and above and beyond um, worldly sight. Spiritual sight versus spiritual blindness is what we're going to look at in this passage. The principles to look think about is Jesus sees us, reveals our life purpose. So Jesus sees us wherever we might be, whatever circumstances or um, position in life we live in. He reveals our life purpose and has the power to open our blind eyes. Two, to reject Jesus and his truth is to choose spiritual blindness. He's the only one that can open our spiritual eyes. And three, Jesus gives spiritual sight to those who put their faith in him. So there are three divisions. The story, as you're familiar by now, is that Jesus healed a blind man on the Sabbath. John 9, 1 to 12. Then the Pharisees show up, as they usually do. <laughs> they seem to be ubiquitous. They're everywhere. Uh, the secret police, the secret uh, religious police, investigated the healing and then threw the man out. And then we're going to talk about why that's so wrong. That's verse 13 to 34. And then three is Jesus led the formerly blind man to spiritual sight, verses 35 to 41. And subject sentences... And subject sentence has to do with encapsulating the passage in 10 words or less. It's like a, it's like a subheader for a newspaper article. But it's a way, so we do this because it helps us keep our thoughts organized about the passage in order to better remember it and be able to tell other people about it. Telling other people what we're learning and uh, how we're being blessed. So these are organized thoughts. So the subject sentence is, Jesus healed a blind man and condemned spiritually blind Pharisees. And the aim is that only Jesus can make, make blind eyes see. Some of the applications we're going to be talking about through our discussion is, how has dull spiritual vision prevented you from seeing greater realities of God's word? You know, people get bored with their faith life and with the Bible. It's true to fact that we just don't do enough to deepen our understanding because we read the Bible, we speed read through the Bible and Bible in a year programs. And then we, most of our Bible, Bible knowledge is by secondhand information from a pastor, you know, the sage on stage who's giving us words. And we just listen kind of um, without being challenged to dig deeper into their ramifications. And most of the time we're thinking about lunch, Especially if you're a man, you're going to be thinking about lunch, <laughs> and uh, that's not a good thing. So, <laughs> lunch will come in its due time, um, but we just need to be better prepared. If we're not prepared to receive God's Word, we're not going to be deepening our understanding. And then as a result, everything sounds very, very uh, repetitious, religious, full of Christianese that we can't make heads or tails of. And that leads to a dull Christian life. Second question in that line, uh, one is, in what ways do you resist the spirit, perhaps using something you find uncomfortable or disgusting or unfamiliar uh, from God that is sent to you to humble you and to enable obedience to follow him? So in what ways do you resist that kind of thing where you find what God is giving you is uncomfortable, disgusting, or un unfamiliar and you resist it? 
2. I'm sorry, I have the numbers a little mixed up here. 2 is, when has suffering in your life provided an opportunity for God's work and God's glory? When have you allowed for that to be fleshed out and to, to be manifested for what it should be? It's full glory. The other question is, like the man who was healed, how has your commitment to Christ caused division or disagreement in your relationships? And then last question is, what has God used to open your eyes to who He is recently? How has God used, what has God used to open your eyes to who He is? And how has He filled your life with praise and thanksgiving as a result? All right, so let's go to the passage now. So this is a story of love and grace, as I mentioned. This passage involves a man who was born into pretty bad circumstances in life. He was, uh, I think we say that in some ways this is very tragic. He was born blind. And of course, back then, um, there are no social services where the disabled would be helped. They had to fend for themselves. And he probably met a routine of going to strategic places around the city to beg. And he was born to a life of begging, basically, for his livelihood. But God says that he was born into this life in order that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now, think carefully about what that means. The work of God might be displayed in his life. Some of us get to thinking by worldly standards that a life well-lived is one, someone who gets married, Uh, fairly young, has a lot of kids, 2.5 kids and a dog in a nice house with the mortgage paid off, has lived into a successful career for a firm or a company that makes things or offers services that touches many people's lives. So we measure our lives by the material and by the worldly ways that most people measure their lives by. But God measures our lives very differently. By the way, none of that ever gets written on a tombstone. Your 2.5 kids and a dog in a nice nice house. Um, Actually, something else is written on there. And actually, most people struggle with knowing what to say about uh, the subject sentence of their lives might be. Uh, Ten words or less. (laughs) If nothing else, a person may be able to just do one thing um, really well. And if they can do that, According to God, the best way to do, to live a meaningful life is to d- display the work of God, the work of God to others. And as a disabled man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself into the humble circumstances of his life and means just so that the story of God can be told. And Jesus encounters him in this day so that the story can be told over and over again to millions and millions of people through God's word. Uh, it's, that's a great privilege, you know, to be mentioned in the book of John as one Jesus met and worked through in order to display God's glory. Jeremiah 9, 24 says, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, nor the strong man in his strength, nor the wealthy man in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me that he understands and knows me. You know, that's all we can boast about. That's the, that's the best thing in life that we could be boasting about. You know, during our leaders training this past week, one of the leaders shared a story about a person that, that's close to him who had to get cataract surgery. Uh, yeah, 
cataract surgery. That's when uh, the lens get all cloudy over time due to um, damage and in, damage from infrared uh, rays being uh, exposure to sun. And the protocol for surgery is to do one at a time. Uh, and this person felt that he only needed to really needed to get only one of the eyes done because the other wasn't you know doing so bad. So when they uh, when he went in, you know he was just happy to get that one eye done and. When they completed the surgery, he opened his eyes and he looked into the distance and was totally surprised. He said the whole world lit up, became crystal clear, magnified and enhanced. There was so much light and color through that one eye. It was like looking at the world in high definition. Everything was vivid. It had definition, movement, movement that he wasn't able to see clearly before and great beauty. He was quite taken aback by how much he had missed out on because he had not lived. He had not bothered too much about this gradually clouding up that was taking place in his eyes. What he thought was good enough and fine at one point, because uh, he really wasn't keeping track of it. He, it, it happened so slowly. Well, the good enough that he thought wasn't good enough at all. The restored eye provided such a dramatic contrast to his not-so-bad eye, he realized he couldn't live with not-so-bad anymore, because now he understood how very terrible the mediocre not-so-bad was compared to perfect sight. All along, he didn't know what he was missing. He really just didn't know what he was missing. And that's the way we are with God's Word and God's presence in our lives. In this gospel, in our world, Jesus continues to meet people who don't know what they're missing from the real life God wants to give them, the real life God wants to give us. Jesus says he is the light of the world, but you know we, we're contented to live in a false light, kind of like a halogen lamp that casts off bad lighting and, and do so, does so very weakly. You know, we think um, all of this is good enough, but Jesus says he is the bread of life. We've read that he says he's the bread of life, and we live chasing after things and idolizing people we think will fill us, complete us, but they never do. He meets self-satisfied people who think they see and continue to criticize him for not seeing as they do. Jesus is the light of the world. And this Christmas, we're celebrating God giving us life and light. God the Son, our Lord Jesus, is the lens we all need to see that the little worlds of busyness and self-importance, the running after, are kind of constantly running after holidays and travel and trips and expensive toys, houses and lands, are really all distractions because there's a much larger world out there a world and a life that God calls us to. Actually, all these things that we buy up end up taking away more of our lives as we try to maintain them, keep them up. You know, it's just, it, it takes up more of our lives away from us. So when, you know, the Mary and Martha story, when Martha is getting very distracted and she's saying, have, G have Mary come join me in my distraction, Jesus says, there's only one thing that's needful, and Mary has chosen what is right, what is good, and it will not be taken away from her as she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now that's, that's where it's at. Jesus shows us God the Father. 
and he shows God the Father to the world perfectly and clearly. If we have seen the, Father, the Son, we have seen the Father. He that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son of God has not life. That's 1 John chapter 5. If we do not have the lens of Jesus in our eyes, we cannot see. He gives us the sight. He allows us to understand the true shape of reality and why we exist and what we're about. So let's go into the question set here, second day. What question did Jesus' disciples ask about the man's blindness and how did Jesus redirect their thinking? So, you know, we tend to think in a very strange way about the moral logics around us. And one of the things that we think is bad things, you know, always happen to bad people. And so if a person is born in pretty rough shape, uh, circumstances, he probably deserved it in some shape or form or had it coming to him. So the disciples ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And surprisingly, Jesus gives an answer that's, um, that they didn't expect. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. He was born into this very difficult situation and circumstances so that the power of God's work the nature of who God is can be manifested and displayed in his life. So something that these guys were passing by thinking sorry for, they didn't realize that God was going to do something powerfully wonderful to the witness of who God is for all mankind. So they were kind of embedded in their worldly thinking. And Jesus tells us something entirely different about what suffering and troubled circumstances can be as they lead to the glory of God, to the revelation of who God is, and to joyful praise. See, God had a plan for this man, a person we would have written off as not very important or thought of as being in the least likely position to be used of God to glorify his name. What a powerful thought that is, right? Because we come across people that we would always kind of like not, not give a second thought to. I mean, how can they benefit our, the world? And since they can't benefit the world, what good is their life? Well, God says, God, God values all life. All human life, God, is precious to Him. And God doesn't only work through the lives of those who, who we think are, are, are kind of in positions of influence or possess extraordinary capabilities or are tied to networks of power. No, God doesn't only work through the lives of people like that. And maybe not even through the lives of people like that, because, uh, you know, usually when people have power, they use it for their own purposes. Uh, God doesn't work that way. He's looking for to live into the faithfulness of the people that are dedicated and committed to Him. And here's a man, even in living in the margins of life, where Jesus is able to invite, draw him out, and use him to shine a bright light into the marginal places that no one thinks to go in order to glorify his name. It's not just in those nice places Jesus wants to shine his light. As we have seen, Jesus purposely goes to the marginal, the unmet, the untraveled places to shine light and life so that people everywhere can get an opportunity to witness and to receive him. So Christmas really is, as John chapter 1 verse 9 says, the true light that gives light to every man and woman Every person was coming into the world, and that's what we celebrate. 4A, how did Jesus' methods in healing this man surprise you? What do you learn from this? 
Now, whenever I teach this with uh, students, uh, they're always going to why Jesus did this miracle in this way. So imagine being spoken about if you were a blind man and you're sitting there and they're talking about you in the third person like you're not even there. And they ask a question that you've been wondering about even yourself all your life. And remember, you know, blind people, uh, they overcompensate for their blindness by having very sharp hearing. And so they're, he's listening to everything, but, you know, they, they don't even think of him as even a, a, a full person, maybe a half a person. That's how people tended to think about disabled people in the past. And uh, so he's there, kind of not really fully human. Why was I born like this? Why couldn't I have been born normal? He might have asked this question many times, maybe even prayed it too. But now he hears a wonderful response that he never thought possible. That there was something meaningful and purposeful about his disability. That his disability and condition was a result of God wanting to use him for a special work to show his work manifest and displayed through his life. Ah, that revelation would have completely changed his outlook, completely changed the paradigm for life that he lived his life by. And then he hears something. <laughs> he hears kind of spitting. And someone is spitting, and then he could hear slightly something being made in hands. And then suddenly he, he feels like cold mud being applied to his eyes, and he knows what this is. But this man accepts it. And he does exactly as Jesus, who spoke to him a word of blessing and revelation, says to do. To go to the pool of Shalom and wash. Now, Shalom wasn't just like right around the corner. It was a ways down. And so we know Jesus healed people with just simply a word. And sometimes he laid hands on them. Sometimes they put their hands on him. But in this case, he does this. He uses this method. So why does the Apostle John, who wrote this gospel take the time to mention this method well i have a, a few personal thoughts one is that god uses things that we think are uncomfortable or disgusting disgusting to humble us and to change us humility is a huge first step into being changed by god because sometimes such walls get in the way when we think change has to happen a certain way for us we have to bring those walls down we have to humble. And whatever the means might be, and however disgusting and uncomfortable and unfamiliar they might be, when we don't accept it, if we refuse it, we will resist the spiritual change that God has meant for us. You know, parallels, this parallels the story of Paul, how he became a Christian. He was violent, aggressively pursuing God's people. And Paul went through that, you know, very very difficult time when he was struck blind. And even now, we see how blindness was used to show his great pride. So, the blind man followed Jesus' instruction without hesitation. He didn't make accusations that Jesus was abusing his disability. He humbly received the spiritual work of God quietly and patiently, curious and expected. What an example this man is to us. And when he was told to go to this pool, he didn't go to some other close pool or some other well. He went exactly as he was told. And in doing so, he came back being able to see things he couldn't see before. And that itself is a powerful, powerful lesson. 
It was a form of baptism of the Holy Spirit working in his life through Jesus. So I just want to share a thing from my life. 20 years ago, when I was a business consultant, God called me to help a small fledgling international Christian school abroad in another country during a time of crisis that they were facing. It meant that I would have to leave the comforts of home and family and friends and even a promising career. And, and I'd lived, when I got there, in a dilapidated dorm room covered in mold and infested with... Uh, I had a roommate, and we were he, he was fighting off rats, and he was telling me about them as I dragged my luggage into the door. I wasn't sure what I was in for. But when I met the team of missionary professors there and heard their vision, I knew I was at the right place. And the school was a humbling, humbling challenge for me. See, uh, it was a humbling mode of life that I didn't expect, that I needed. The difficulty of the work was like that mud made from spit put on my eyes. And I, I know many times I would have rejected it, but many times after the school expanded and grew, I thought about the story and God spoke to me through it. And he said, you know, if you had rejected, if you did not obey, the opportunities that I gave you, you would not have grown and seen and understood so many things that I wanted to teach you through this community of believers and through the work that's happening in the 1040 window among the nations that were not developed and ready to receive, now are receiving God's word and the gospel. Many things I wanted to give to you for your personal and spiritual growth and your blessing. I couldn't have gotten to that place because if I had sought security and worldly status and plenty, I would have just gone on in the way that I would go, pursuing those things like everybody else living in Silicon Valley because I was in San Francisco. But I realized that it was by obedience that I came away myself seeing things I would, ne I would have never been able to except by obeying Christ. So going back to that question one, how has dull spiritual vision prevented you from seeing greater realities of God's word? And in what ways do you resist the spirit, perhaps using you, opening up opportunities for you and moving, helping you to encounter and face and to wrestle with the uncomfortable and perhaps things that are God is showing you that might be seemingly disgusting and unfamiliar that he's using to humble you, to lay off those preconceptions about how you think you want to be used in greatness <laughs> by a path and process that uh, is on your level <laughs> that you deserve. No, we have to cast all that out. How might you enable by your obedience a great sight to be given to you by God? So the Bible says faith is the evidence of things hoped for. So the evidence of things not seen, that's Hebrew 11. The New Living Translation says it like this, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Yeah, by faith, we see new worlds and the evidence of things that we cannot see comes in full view. So there's a double opening of eyes here. The physical healing of blindness is only a prelude to the real opening of eyes, the spiritual insight ability to see, seeing something that he could never have seen without Jesus and before Jesus. So going on to the sixth day, uh, question six asks, describe the Pharisees' attitude and approach as they investigated this healing. 
Well, you know, when a healing happens, the person was, uh, by Old Testament law, was supposed to go to the temple and show himself to the priest in order for both he and they, the leaders, the spiritual leaders, to celebrate with him into the gift and the miracle that God done, had done in his life. Well, here we see something totally opposite. They were trying to undermine the miracle and discredit Jesus. There was a lot of fault finding, and they found him guilty of, uh, found Jesus guilty of uh, giving this miracle on the Sabbath. So you see, people who, whatever they might see, when they're confronted with Jesus and what Jesus has to offer, there is an attitude of being adversarial and intimidating, threatening instead of celebrating, rejoicing and praising. Instead of acknowledging and celebrating his healing, uh, what a wonderful thing, right? It's a, it's a great blessing. They did not consider the possibility that God did a miracle and offered mercy. Because in fact, Sabbath is about bringing people into the perfect place of peace that he wants to give them, right? Sabbath was made for man, as we had discussed in previous lessons. It wasn't a thing where we catch people and uh, rob them of their joy especially as God is entering into their life to give them eternal rest and peace and, and blessing. So man's culture um, of executing or living by the law can be very tight. It's, it's, it says things like you're either in or you're out, or um, you either follow these things or you're not following. And so it's very prescriptive, very legalistic, without any attempt to understand the heart of God that is defined by these laws. So the heart of God, Jesus said, all of these laws were pointing to two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as you would love yourself. That's, And he's, Jesus says, those two things are the law and the prophets. You just practice that and you understand the heart of God. In order to have a relationship with God, you have to know his heart, as we do with people. Unless you know a person and have a relationship with the heart of who a person is, you really don't have a relationship there. Uh, it's probably all uh, more paper than um, heart. One of our brothers mentioned Isaiah 61.2, where it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is on me. And it's referring to Jesus because the Lord has anointed me to bring and preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn. And then I just want to close with a couple of questions here. 13a asks, um, what did he say and do that demonstrated his faith in Jesus? It refers to John 9.38. Then the man says, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. You know, this is meaningful, and there are often times of this where people worship Jesus because this is a sign of Jesus' complete divinity. Uh, some people ask, well, you know, the Son is not God. Well, they are in the Trinity. He is God. In the scriptures, only God receives worship. Only God does. Nobody else. Not even angels receive worship. And Jesus accepts their worship because he is God. So, uh, in closing, I just want to respond to question 15. Think about the experience of learning about God, walking with him and studying scripture. How has God opened your eyes to understand his truth in a way that has changed how you think and live? And I hope that we can all say together that Jesus illuminates the world and the truth. He is the light. 
This is a huge lesson about the transformation we have in Jesus, the new life that we can get only through Him by the Holy Spirit. And we see the realities of life and the world uh, in a totally different way by the sight that He gives us. Into um, And then we see ourselves differently and where we stand and what our lives are about. And through Jesus, giving us hope for where we are going. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this Christmas season, thank you, Lord, for another celebration, a holiday in which we can think about the Messiah who has come, the Emmanuel, your name, which means God with us. God is with us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is always with us and prepares a way so that God's people through all ages and time are prepared for your kingdom, a domain of the King prepared for all eternity under the sun. We thank you, Lord, for calling us and the privilege of being able to serve you in this life and calling others to join you into the next. We pray that your name will be exalted and lifted on high and that you would illuminate and open up, Lord, into the darkest recesses of our hearts and minds, the reality of your truth and the great love that you have for us as you call us to yourself through the cross. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.